you have your Bibles, you can turn to a couple of places, Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, that's where we're going to be at this morning. Um, while you're turning there, by way of intro, we are in our series on the family, the happy family. This is week three. And so, um, again, just, just to recap, the word family is a packed word. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, I won't go into all the nuances on that because I tend to be long-winded as it is, uh, and you don't need any extra. So, uh, all that to say, like, whatever family looks like for you... Um, Right. It, it means a lot of different things. And so when you hear the word family, don't just think only kind of the traditional uh, nuclear family. Uh, it's, it's a loaded word again. So anyways, we've been in the series. Uh, this is our third week. The first week, we just looked at Psalm 128 and what it means to be a happy family. The psalmist said that uh, blessed or, or happy are those uh, who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. And so kind of the point right out of the gate week one was just that the, the happy family or the, be- the blessed family is the family that has God at the center of your home. Right? He's the centerpiece of your home. So that uh, every decision you make, everything you do is kind of filtered through this question of what would be the most honoring to the Lord. Right? That's what it means to kind of have a God-centered, uh, God, um, God is the centerpiece of your home. And then last week, Andrew did a, a phenomenal job, I think, of just kind of presenting uh, this idea as the church is a family. Like the church is not like a family, the church is a family. And so uh, that should have uh, significance for us and how we relate to one another and how we love one another and serve one another. And so um, with that in mind, that's, that's where we've been and here's where we're going. Okay, in the, the next few weeks, we are going to talk about some of the nuances of family. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting and then we'll dig even deeper, talk about Uh, discipline and discipleship and conflict and all those fun things that come with family life. But today we're going to start in a place that you probably wouldn't expect with singleness. All right, we're going to talk about singleness. So uh, by a show of hands, how many of you have heard a sermon specifically on singleness? More than I thought, to be honest, but, but probably still in the minority, okay? How many of you, uh, by some strange chance, have actually preached a sermon on singleness? Okay, (laughs) neither have I. We're in this together, all right? Um, But that gets to kind of the heart of what what I want to lead into with is the fact that, you know, it it was still in the minority have actually heard a sermon on singleness. The fact that I've never preached a sermon on singleness kind of gets to this reality that that the church, uh, again, not any one church specifically, but just the church corporately, has been less than awesome in how we minister to and with singles, okay? Um, so, so for example, and this is never like explicit, like there's no church or ministry leader or uh, pastor or preacher that would ever be like, you know what, I just don't really value singles and what they bring to the church. Like, I, I hope no pastor or ministry leader would ever say that, um, but oftentimes it is kind of implied in the way that we do things sometimes. So, for example, sometimes the way that we structure uh, our churches and our ministries, right? We got the nursery and the kids ministry and the student ministry. And then all of a sudden you jump up and it's, you know, we've got our kind of our couple stuff. And there's like this gap in the church. What do, what do we do with singles? Uh, and, and if there is an environment for singles, sometimes it's we kind of pull them together in their own big single group. And then we put them off in their own class and call them something like young professionals, uh, and like we all know what that means, right? 
Um, and so sometimes we do that. Sometimes there is, uh, it's just like the, the well-meaning, uh, but kind of like passively derogatory comments. Like, so when are you going to settle down and get married? You know, like, uh, it's, and sometimes it's just like our, our attitudes even. Sometimes it's, we, we look at someone that's, that's single and we think, man, like, I wonder what's going on there, right? Uh, or, or, or it's especially true if it's someone that's like really godly, like loves the Lord. Because even though we, we might not say it, in the back of our minds, we're like, he or she really loves the Lord. They're so godly. Why have they not found, how have they not found a, a spouse yet? Right? As if singleness and godliness are somehow mutually exclusive. Right? <laughs> They're not. Jesus was single, okay? Uh, all right, so all, all that to say, here's, here's what I want to do today. If I do things the, one I, the way that I hope that they should be done, two things. I want singles, uh, whether you're in here or online watching, singles to, to see uh, the value that you are to our church family, right? And, and the, the valuable role that you play in our church family. And then two, I want us as a church to better value the role that singles play in our church family. Okay? Again, we are a family. So um, with that said, here's what I want to do just before we dive into the text. There might be a temptation for you to kind of withdraw because some of you guys are like, I'm married. This doesn't apply to me. Uh, Some of you guys here in the room, like you're looking at me and you're like, I've been married longer than you've been alive. So, uh, right? I see some hands in the back. Uh, <laughs> so here's what I want to do, though. I, I just want to beg you not to, like, you're going to be maybe tempted to kind of check out, make your lunch plans, taco bowl from Qdoba, if you're wondering. You can thank me later. Um, but don't check out, and, and here's why, all right? The first thing is this. When the Bible addresses singles, the Bible does actually talk about singles. It does so in the context of the church, right? It's not... Uh, when Paul wrote his letter to, to the Corinthian church, we're going to look at here in just a minute, it's a letter to the church. It's not a letter to the young professionals class of the church. Right? It's a letter to the church collectively. So the fact that the Bible addresses singles within the context of the whole church says that there's something for the whole church to hear. Okay? Uh, then there's also uh, the reality that, uh, like we said last week, church is a family. So because church is a family... The things that are unique and matter to my single brothers and sisters should matter to me as a married man with right, a wife and kids, right? And then vice versa, right? The things that are unique to me as a married man with a wife and kids should matter to our single brothers and sisters. We are a family. Then we've got uh, the reality that, that all of us have been single at some time, and, and some of us will be single again, right? Now, I, I'm going to qualify that. Um, we'll touch on divorce here in just a moment. But what I mean more specifically is the reality that even those of us who are married, some of us are going to outlive our spouses, which means everything the Bible says about singleness and being single, and the Bible actually talks a lot about widows and, and being widowed. Like that, For some of us, that's going to apply to us again someday. Okay, Sorry, I didn't mean to bring the room down. Let me, let's see if I can lift this back up. Um, Right, we are raising singles. Right? Those of us that have kids, we are raising singles. Right? And, and again, we are a church family, so it's not even just us parents. Like Collectively, together, as a church, 
We together are raising singles. What a privilege to to help them and direct them and guide them and, and train them in a way so that they honor God in their singleness. Okay? And then... Uh, the, the last thing is just this. Singles are going to play a huge part of the future of the church. Because I, I won't bore you with all the statistics, but um, marriage is getting kind of pushed back to a later and later age kind of in our society. Um, and marriage rates themselves are just declining. People are either getting married later in life or a lot of people just aren't getting married at all. And yet our, our mission as a church is to still go out and to reach people. And so if we're going to be a church that's in it for the long haul, then over time we're going to do more and more and more ministry to singles. All right, so all that, by way of introduction, <laughs> leads us into Matthew chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, give you a little context before you read. Uh, Jesus is actually talking here in Matthew 19 about divorce, okay? And, uh, and so some, there's some uh, Pharisees that show up, and they begin to ask Jesus about uh, some different laws regarding divorce. And uh, actually what Jesus kind of answers them, and he actually surprises them because Jesus' stance on divorce is actually a little more strict than the law's stance on divorce. Right? Jesus' point is, uh, we're not going to read it all, but to summarize, Jesus says, if you get divorced for any reason other than uh, basically sexual immorality, and then you go and marry someone else, you're committing adultery. Right? In other words, to paraphrase what Jesus is saying, you don't get a divorce just because you don't want to be married anymore. Okay? Those are hard words for us to hear in our world today. Right? But I think it's good because hard words make soft hearts. Okay? And, and maybe you're sitting here and you all of a sudden you feel the guilt and the weight because you've, you've been through a divorce and... Um, what I would also say to that is the same Jesus who, who said that is the same Jesus who died for your sin, all of it. So it's good to have that, uh, have that reminder. But anyways, Jesus is talking about divorce here. And so he's saying, basically, uh, well, I'll just read it. I won't paraphrase again because, again, I don't need to be any more long-winded than I already am. So verse 10. The disciples said to him, being Jesus, if such is the case of a man... With his wife, it is better not to marry. So Jesus has just told them that if you divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality and then you marry again, you're, you're guilty of committing adultery. And so the disciples answer, their response is, well, basically, maybe it's better that we just don't marry. Right? Let's not risk it. All right? What if I get married and all of a sudden things aren't working out and then I feel like I don't need to be married anymore? Then I'm setting myself up for a world of trouble. So maybe it's better that I just not marry. And so Jesus responds to them this way. Verse 11 says, But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have, made, have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And we've got to do a little work here. Um, and I'm going to tread cautiously. Eunuchs. Some of you know what a eunuch is. Some of you may not. I'm going to try to enlighten us in a way that is appropriate for everyone in the room. Um, so a eunuch was, in biblical times, someone that was kind of 
Uh, there would have been like a servant entrusted to uh, oftentimes like a, a, a king's uh, kind of harem of wives, concubines, all that kinds of stuff. And so to be a eunuch, uh, they were unable to have families because they were unable to procreate. All right. Now, as Jesus says, it's because some of them were born that way. They didn't have the ability to have families. Uh, some eunuchs were made eunuchs by men, uh, just to be frank, castrated. Okay. And then Jesus also says there are some that um, made themselves eunuchs. And I don't think Jesus means literally made themselves eunuchs here. Okay, I, I think what he means is they, they chose to live in such a way that they didn't have the family commitments. Like, like, a, like a eunuch would not have the same family commitments as a, as a married person. And so Jesus is saying here, right, there, there's some who are eunuchs by birth, there's some who were made eunuchs by men, and then there's some who make a conscious decision to live as eunuchs, without the family commitments, without wife, without children. And the, and the reason they do that, he says at the end of verse 12, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Right? There are some who will choose to live a life of committed singleness for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Right? Because any, here's, here's the point. When you are single, right, this is just practically, you have more uh, freedom than a married person does. You have more opportunity than a married person does to give yourself to kingdom work. All right? That doesn't mean that if you're married, you're excluded from kingdom work. We'll kind of touch on that in just a second. But, but just practically, to be single, uh, you have more opportunity to give yourself to uh, kingdom work. And so that's kind of what Jesus' point is here. But then Paul, over in 1 Corinthians 7, is going to uh, kind of add some more to this conversation. So go ahead and turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's what Paul writes. We're going to kind of bounce around here in this chapter, so hang with me. All right. Here's where he starts in verse 1. It says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. All right, so uh, if you were here a few weeks ago on Easter, we looked at uh, part of this letter to the church in Corinth. And if you remember, the church in Corinth is a hot mess. Right? They got all kinds of just crazy stuff going on. And so part of what Paul's addressing here is there's a group of believers in the church in Corinth who thought, even though they were married, it was good to abstain from sexual relations. And if you read on through here, Paul's going to pretty emphatically and clearly say that's a terrible idea. Okay? But go down to verse 6, and here's, here's where Paul's going to kind of bring back this idea of singleness. Verse 6, he says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. So this is... These are Paul's words, but this is not a command for all of God's people from God. Okay, So now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, meaning single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, so um, 
More on this in just a second. I don't, again, I don't want to belabor the point. Jump over to verse 32, though. Paul kind of continues this train of thought. He says this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is, <clears throat> excuse me, is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. No comments from you men. Verse 34. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So even in Paul's teaching here, what you see is echoes of what Jesus was saying. Right, that singleness is, is not for everyone. Right? And, and there's some advantages to being single that, that you don't quite have when you have family commitments of being married. And so here, here's what I'm going to do. Two kind of condensed points from these two texts, and then we're going to talk about some of the more practical implications. All right? So the, the first thing, kind of condensing these two texts, uh, is this. Singleness, singleness is a gift for some. Right? Singleness is a gift for some. Right? Both Jesus and Paul pretty explicitly said this is not for everyone. Right? Not everyone can be single. Not everyone, uh, according to, to Paul's words, um, marriage functions as a, I mean, it, it functions for a lot of different purposes, but at least one of the purposes of marriage is, is that God gives it as a good gift to protect his people from sexual immorality, okay? And so um, marriage then is, is a, a gift for those of us who, um, right, we don't explore our um, passions in an impure, sinful way. Marriage is God's gift for us. That's at least one of the purposes of marriage, right? So in a way, it, it's actually marriage that is an admission of our weakness. Right? Now, we, we don't look at it that way. Sometimes marriage is kind of seen as, as the ideal, the standard, and, and it is a good gift. I mean, please hear me. I love my wife. Marriage is a good gift from the Lord. But, but in a way, Paul is saying that, that marriage is us admitting we have weaknesses, we are frail. We are vulnerable. And so God gives us the gift of a spouse in our weakness. But some, as Jesus said and as Paul says, some people have the ability, some people have the desire to exercise and grow in self-control in such a way that they can remain single. Right? Which brings me to the second point. So singleness is a gift for some, not for all, but a gift for some. In verse 2, singleness is desirable, but not commanded. Right? Singleness is desirable, but not commanded. And the reason it's desirable is what Jesus said, and, and you see it again here in what Paul's saying, is singleness presents you with opportunities right, to be of greater, uh, to give yourself all the more to God's work. Right? Because again, just practically, Right. Paul laid it out pretty clearly here, right? The, the unmarried man, the unmarried woman, 
does not have the, uh, the same divided attention that the married man or the married woman does. Right? I have, let's just be straight with you. Right? You guys have called me as your pastor. I cannot give 100% of myself to ministry because I have a wife, because I have children. I will give as much as I can to ministry, but I have a wife and I have kids and they are my first ministry. In fact, the Bible would say elsewhere that if I don't take care of them, I'm not qualified to be your pastor. Right? So the fact that I have family commitments means that I can't give myself 100% to the ministry. But the single person can. Right? Doesn't mean the single person doesn't have any commitments or any uh, things like that, but, but just by nature of practicality, a single person does not have the same level of family commitments that a, a married man or woman does, that a, a father or mother does. And so what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is that it's in singleness you're able to give yourself all the more to the work of God's kingdom. Right? But again, this is not, like Paul said, it's, it's his concession, it's not a command. Right? So singleness is desirable, but it's not commanded. Like some of us receive the gift of marriage, to reflect the gospel to the world. More on that next week. I don't want to dive into that too deep. Some of us uh, receive the gift of children to reflect the gospel to the world in that way. Right? So even though singles have more opportunity uh, to give themselves all the more to the advance of God's kingdom, doesn't mean that those of us that are uh, married, spouses, uh, parents, doesn't mean that we, we don't give ourselves to that. We, we very much do. It's just we have unique ways of doing that. All right? So... Here's what I want to do now. I just want to get really practical for just a minute. I mean, practical applications for us as a church, uh, as individuals, whether married, parents, singles, all that. I want to address kind of all of us together here. All right? When we consider singleness, here's the first one. We should view singleness as normal. All right? View singleness as normal. I said earlier, sometimes... Um, Especially in the church world, when we think of singles or singleness, it's kind of like, we think of it as like an outlier. Like it's not the normal thing. Or like somehow being single makes you an incomplete or second tier citizen in God's kingdom. And I would say that is not true at all. It is not true at all. Right? We need to view singles as a normal part of our family. Right? Um, Listen, singleness is not a problem to be solved. Right? It's not a problem to be solved. And so to the singles in the room, or if you're listening online, know this. One, forgive us where we've made you feel like you are somehow on a different level than we are. Right? We want to own that. We're able to repent of that. Forgive us. And then two, don't believe the lie that you are some kind of slightly lower tier than those of us that might be married or might have children. You are not. Right? We are all God's family. Married, parents, singles, divorced, widows. It doesn't matter what your status is. We're all part of God's family. All right, so view singleness as normal. The second one is this. Rejoice in the position that God has you. And here's what I mean by that. So God is sovereign, control of all things. 
That's what we believe. Romans 8, 28, that uh, God is working together all things for the good of those who love him. So we believe that God is, has all things in control, that he's working together all things for our good. Um, so if he's working together all things for our good, then your status in life right now is part of God working for your good. If you are single, God is using your singleness for your good. Doesn't mean you'll be single forever, right? But it might. But trust, God is sovereign and God is good. God is working together your singleness for your good. If you're married, God is working together all things together in your marriage for your good. If you're a parent, God is working all things together like in, in your family as, as a parent for your good. Right, so trust God's sovereignty, trust his goodness, trust that he is working these things together for your good. Right, and strive, strive for contentment in that. Right, maybe you're single and you want to be married, just trust that God is working in this. Maybe you're married and you, I won't, we won't go there. Um, that would get us in trouble, wouldn't it? Rejoice in the position that the Lord has you. He's, he's using it for your good. Third thing is this. Invest in relationships with others. All right, so this kind of gets back to the heart of uh, what Andrew t- taught us last week, that we are a family. And so what I would just want for us, my, my just kind of painting a picture, a vision of what I would want us to be like as a family, is that we would invest in relationships with each other and not just people that are just like us. And so, so, for example, what if, again, we're just dreaming here, what if the, uh, the, the empty nest couple, right, what, what if they kind of began investing in a single mom? Right? What if the empty nesters saw the single mom, she's, she's struggling, she's working hard, working her tail off to provide for her kids and take care of her kids, and they just brought her in and said, hey, we love you, we want to serve you, we want to encourage you, we want to invest in you. Right, the, the empty nesters and the single mom. Or what about uh, the young family with kids right, struggling to just try to <laughs> keep everybody pointed in the right direction? At least that's our house. Okay? What about the young family with kids that, that says, hey, we want to invest in um, this widow or this widower? Right? Someone who maybe has, has experienced a little more life than, than we have right, can, can help us, encourage us, support us. Pray for us. Let's have this, this vision for a church as a family where there's people of different backgrounds, uh, different stories, different generations, all investing in one another. Right? Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, right? This is a place for us to be together as a family. So invest in relationships with others. Four, use your gift for the kingdom. Use your gift for the kingdom. If you're single, use your singleness. Maximize your singleness for the growth of God's kingdom. If you're single, I would just implore you to give yourself to to the work that God's doing, especially if if there's areas where uh, the married men and women amongst us may not be able to give ourselves fully to that. Use your gift for the kingdom. And then those of us that are married, again, we're, we're... the call to, uh, to make disciples still falls on us, even if we are married. 
And so for us, that's um, use your marriage. Use your marriage to reflect uh, the good news of Jesus to the world. Right? Marriage, we'll talk a little bit more next week. Part of what marriage is, a big part of what marriage is, is it reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. So are singles being able to use kind of their, uh, their extra time or, or, or lack of, of, of commitment in the way, same way that a married person or a parent would? Right? As, as spouses, we can use our marriages to point people towards the gospel, to love our wives, to love our husbands right, in a way that, that shows people what the love of Christ is like, specifically us as men. To love our wives as Christ loved the church. Right? There, there's no better way for us to show the world what, what Jesus did for his bride, the church, than the way that we love our wives. Right? So whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a parent, use the gifts that God has given you for the kingdom. All right, and then the, the fifth thing is this. Focus on your relationship with God. If you are single, the most important relationship you have is your relationship with God. If you are married, the most important relationship you have is your relationship with God. If you are a parent, the most important relationship you have is your relationship with God. Right? And we could go on and on and on. Because the reality is, it doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter what, what like when you uh, go to the doctor's office and you fill out the form and it checks your married status or whether you have, it doesn't matter what you check in that box. The most important relationship that you have is your relationship with the Lord. Because in a very real way, the, uh, the effectiveness of your singleness or of your marriage or of your, uh, your parenting, your effectiveness in that will flow out of your relationship with God. You want to be a better single and love the Lord with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. You want to be a better spouse, love the Lord more than anything else. Right? You want to be a better parent, Love the Lord more than anything else. Right? It's, it's as our relationship with God is cultivated and, and it grows, it's, it's then that we're better able to, to live out our responsibilities as a single man or a single woman or as a spouse or as a parent. All those other relationships flow out of our relationship with God. Right? You want your marriage to flourish. You want your home to flourish. You just want your single life to flourish. Focused on your relationship with God because everything flows out of that. Because here's the truth. God's ultimate plan is not to make single people married. God's ultimate plan is not to make married people parents. God's ultimate plan is to reconcile his people into a right relationship with himself. Some of us he gives the gift of marriage. Some of us he gives the gift of singleness. Some of us he gives kids to. Some of us he doesn't. 
But God's ultimate purpose, again, is not that we would achieve some sort of marital status or that our family would look a particular way. God's ultimate purpose is that, uh, that we would be reconciled to him, made into a right relationship with him through what Jesus did on the cross for us. So maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't have that relationship. Right? And, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. But, but just what I want you to know is uh, your deepest need is not to be a better spouse, although you should want to be a better spouse. Your deepest need is not uh, to be a better parent, although you should want to be a better parent. Your deepest need is not to, to be the best single you can be, although you should. Your deepest need is to know God as a father. Not know about God as this idea, but to know him personally. Right? And so if you're here and you've never, you've never repented of your sin, you never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the most important relationship for you. That's the most important relationship for all of us. So what I would want for you today as we kind of wind this thing down is to know the most important relationship is one with God through what Jesus has done for us. You got questions about that this morning? We're going to sing here in just a moment. You'll have a time to respond. I'll, I'll be down here in front. If you want to pray, you can catch me after service. We could talk about that. You can hit me up during the week, right? Go out to lunch. Be like, hey, I've got some questions about this. And I would love to walk you through that because that's the most relation most important relationship that you'll have. All right. So let's let's pray together. End our time together this morning. Father, we come to you and um, Father, I just first want to uh, just as a church, just um, as much as I know how to to, to repent of um, maybe idolizing uh, marriage, idolizing family life. These are good gifts that we want to thank you for. Um, but Lord, any way that we've made our single brothers and sisters feel uh, inferior, I pray that you would forgive us. Um, Father, I pray that you would help us to acknowledge the gift um, that our single brothers and sisters are to our family. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help both them and us as a church to see um, the opportunities for them. And to uh, help us to put them in positions of opportunity, um, influence, where they might lead and serve and, and love. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would help those of us that, that have the gift of spouse and children, help us to invite singles into our lives. Lord, guard us from congregating with people who are just like us. Make us into a family like Andrew put so well last week. Help us to love those amongst us that, that maybe family for them looks different from us, from, from our families. And Father, I pray that you would uh, make us into a church that loves and values and cares for and ministers to all people. Singles, marrieds, parents, uh, people of different backgrounds, people of different stories, people of different uh, political persuasions, people of different socioeconomic classes. Lord, um, help us to minister to, 
to all the different people that you've created in your image that you've put in close proximity to us that we might point them to the most important relationship they'll ever have, one with you. So Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Um, it would help us to respond as you would have us to respond. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.